This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 3rd, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. The reinstatement of Glass-Steagall, a set of Depression-era banking regulations, is now a part of both the Republican and Democratic Party platforms. That change reveals just how much the campaign of Bernie Sanders has driven substantive policy proposals for both the Democratic and Republican nominees. Mark Calabria, director of the Cato Institute's Financial Regulation Studies, explains. Glass-Steagall is the term that's often referred to from the, for the Banking Act of 1933, which did a lot of things, including creating the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Uh, but most well-known about uh, the 1933 Banking Act was it separated the performance of investment banking from commercial banking within the same entity, or the legal term would be subsidiary. So it's important to keep in mind, after that, of course, you could still do these activities in different parts of the same holding company, but you couldn't do them under the same roof. And the thinking, of course, was we didn't want, or rather Washington or policymakers didn't want banks to use insured deposits. And of course, it's a reminder that deposits were uninsured before the 33 Act. But policymakers didn't want banks to use insured deposits to quote unquote gamble on Wall Street. Uh, and of course, I'll say as an aside, a lot of the evidence uh, since then has argued that this was the wrong take at the wrong time, that those banks that did both commercial banking and investment banking did not have the conflicts of interest that we saw were not contributors to the crisis. So there's a whole separate debate over whether Glass-Steagall was the right response to the Great Depression. The repeal of portions of Glass-Steagall came through in the Clinton administration. Correct. So, in 1999, with the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act, uh, about two specific sections of the 33 Act, uh, Banking Act, were repealed, which allowed some mingling uh, of investment banking and commercial banking. It's also worth recognizing that prior to this, there had been court decisions, including a Supreme Court decision, that had whittled away some of the distinction of Glass-Steagall. So, what we saw in 1999 was as much a recognition of what the Federal Reserve and other regulators and courts had done already, uh, but it certainly removed the last of those barriers with, of course, keeping in mind that even post Graham Leach Bliley in 99, you still couldn't do investment banking and commercial banking under the same roof. They had to be in separate subsidiaries of the holding company. What does it mean that uh, both Republican and Democratic platforms now include a call to reinstate uh, those portions of Glass-Steagall? I think it really indicates a broad-based anger at big banks and Wall Street. Uh, I don't. You could argue to some extent it also indicates that neither party has a really good uh, grasp on on, on banking, uh, on what contributed to the crisis. But this is less about what drove the crisis than it is about what is the relationship of of that party to Wall Street. And so Glass-Steagall debates are less about you know Section 23 of the Federal Reserve Act, and they're more about uh, do you stand with the big banks or not. And to some extent, I see the Republicans embracing this, or rather Trump getting this into the platform, is really an attempt to appeal to Bernie Sanders voters so that he in the, in the general election can say that you know Hillary Clinton, she's tied to Wall Street. She's not going to be tough on them. I will be. And it really shows the extent to which Bernie Sanders, uh, when it comes to uh, policy, was driving in some ways both the Republican and Democratic uh, policy. Absolutely, in a very big way. I think this was certainly the inclusion in the Republican platform was was surprise, uh, and I think that that's widely surprised, not just me. Uh, the 
Democrat Party platform was a little less of a surprise. Certainly, there was a sense that the strength of uh, of Bernie's campaign was that President uh, Secretary Clinton uh, was going to have to reach out to that base and pull them in, which is the reason you saw it included. She did not campaign on Glass-Steagall. And in fact, before Cleveland, before the Republican convention, the topic had largely died down. You hadn't really seen a lot of discussion of it. Yes, there's been bills. So, for instance, even uh, John McCain and Elizabeth Warren had a Glass-Steagall bill that's been out there for years. Uh, and again, a lot of this is a, is a function of the anger at the economy, the anger, uh, a sense of the closeness of Wall Street. To some extent, as we mentioned earlier, with Bill Clinton having signed Gramm-Leach-Bliley, Glass-Steagall is also a, a sort of catchphrase for you know, what is the direction of the Democrat Party? Do you go back to 90s? Uh, Clinton is centrist Clintonism, where you you know you bring Bob Rubin in and you kind of deal, or is this about you know what the party is going to look like going forward? What are the potential impacts of reinstating Glass Steagall, and, and what have been its effects that we can clearly identify since portions of its repeal in 1999? So let's start with the, the most obvious: is the evidence is overwhelming that Glass Steagall had very little to do with the crisis. The institutions that got in trouble, Bear Lehman, were standalone investment banks. Of course, Fannie and Freddie weren't even banks. Those banks that did have investment activities, such as Wachovia, got in trouble because of their commercial banking side. So there's really you can't find an example of if Glass Steagall had been put in place, the crisis, much less any inst- single institutional failure, would have been avoided. Now, one of the arguments you'll often hear for a new Glass-Steagall is that somehow by combining investment and commercial banking, you brought in this kind of Wall Street cowboy uh, mentality that encouraged more risk-taking. Uh, now, of course, I think that this overlooks the fact that the savings and loan crisis, which I think is fair to say, had a lot of cowboy players uh, that were quite reckless, and none of them had uh, came from the investment banking world, uh, and Glass-Steagall wouldn't have made any impact in that instance either. So I think the argument for a new Glass-Steagall is pretty weak on its face. Uh, and of course, ultimately, you have to understand Glass-Steagall as a debate about here's a subset of activities, in this case investment banking, that we don't want to have access to the safety net. And to me, the broader debate has to be about the safety net. Uh, and so you're not having any safer world by bailing out bad mortgages or bad car loans or bad credit card loans. And so it's an artificial distinction as Wall Street is something separate from the rest of the economy. Uh, now, of course, as we learn in, e- in Finance 101, diversification can reduce your risk. So you can have two risky activities that, when combined, are actually less risky when they're combined when they are separate. And so the the question about whether Glass-Steagall makes the system safer or not is not a theoretical, it's not a philosophical, it's not an ideological question. It's an empirical question. And the data does seem to suggest that combining these activities under the same company reduces the risk and the variance of, of, of outcomes in that company. So to me, a new Glass-Steagall could well make the system less safe. Of course, if we had had Glass-Steagall in place, it's important to keep in mind a number of transactions that happened would not have been able to happen, such as Bank of America buying Merrill Lynch. We can debate whether that was the right choice or not, but if the option was you and I, taxpayer, bailing out Merrill Lynch, I'll take the Bank of America purchase over that. Uh, Of course, there were other examples of this as well, such as JP Morgan buying WAMU. So uh, again, there are examples of where the repeal of Glass-Steagall allowed private sector, sometimes assisted with some government money, transactions to take place that would have not have happened otherwise. And in that interim, it was probably a positive thing for financial stability.
the reinstatement of Glass-Steagall as uh, a, a policy matter doesn't even address the bailouts that banks received in 2009. And, and that's absolutely correct. I mean, my personal frustration with Glass-Steagall was I, I just think it's kind of a distraction, quite frankly. Well, and if, if you've got the Federal Reserve acting to preserve these these large players in uh, the banking sector. You know, Glass-Steagall is often thought of a way to keep investment banks from having access to Federal Reserve emergency discount window lending. But this overlooks the fact that during the crisis, the Federal Reserve set up a primary dealer credit facility. The Federal Reserve was directly lending under its 13-3 authorities to investment banks. And you know, any Glass-Steagall would have not stopped that. Uh, and so I do think it's a roundabout way of trying to go after getting rid of bailouts without actually getting rid of bailouts. And so to me, again, the frustration with Glass-Steagall is it is a distraction from the conversation about how do we actually end bailouts, because in, in itself, it does not. Mark Calabria is Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.